This week on episode 479 of Priority One, we trek out Star Trek's Emmy Hall, Noah Hawley's shelved Trek plans, Star Trek Universe's New York Comic Con offerings, and nostalgia at the movies. In Star Trek gaming, Star Trek Timelines releases neither created nor destroyed, and one of our audio editors, Gray, is stepping up to the mic for a look back at gaming in the Star Trek multiverse. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 479 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, September 25th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. I'm Tony. And nobody is in the booth this week, leaving a position open, which we'll get to in just a moment. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any one of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or email us. You can reach us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. But, Captains, producing this show, unfortunately, is not a free endeavor. And as a result, we turn to you, our community, to help support the ongoing production of this show via Patreon. So, if you have a few dollars to spare each month, visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one to find out all the awesome perks that we offer to our supporting members. But if financial support isn't in the cards, don't forget about sharing our show to all your friends. Hit that like, retweet, and or share button when you come across one of our posts, or perhaps you'd like to join the team. So, Captains, as you can tell, Skiffy is not with us. Thankfully, nothing has happened to him, just... He's lacking some time given work from home and taking care of kids at the house. So we are looking to add a new live stream technician to our group. Much like Skiffy was our Roz from Frasier or Robin from the Howard Stern show, we need somebody to help us manage the live stream during our Tuesday night recordings and be a bit of a fourth host. So if you are interested, be sure to visit us on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com and Up at the very top, there's a link that says join the team. There you'll see a description of what it takes to be a live stream technician and a handy form at the bottom of the page for you to express your interest. Remember, Captains, all of the positions here at Priority One Podcast are volunteer. Nobody, not I, not Tony, not Kat, nobody gets paid for the work and talents that they contribute to the production of this show. Much like cast and crew members of a community theater show share a passion for the performing arts, we have a passion for podcasting and, of course, for Star Trek. So if you want to join the team, be sure to visit us on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, and click on the Join the Team link. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. 
2020's Creative Arts Emmy Awards show was a lot like the year itself, unorthodox. The award ceremony, which ran from September 14th to September 19th, quote, honored outstanding artistic and technical achievement in a variety of television program genres, guest performances in weekly series, as well as exceptional work in the animation, reality, and documentary categories, end quote. The awards streamed throughout the week and aired its final night on FXX Virtual Live. All nominees were required to pre-record an acceptance speech, the winners being played, and the rest discarded. There was even a snafu when announcing the guest actor in drama. Ron Safas Jones won, but Jason Bateman was announced the winner. Star Trek's showing at the awards was much like the 2020 Creative Arts Emmy Awards show, and 2020 itself, a bit of a letdown. First, the good. On Wednesday, September 16th, Star Trek took home its first Emmy Award. The crew behind Star Trek Picard won the outstanding prosthetic makeup for a series, limited series, movie, or special for its work on the episode Stardust City Rag. The episode faced and bested some stiff competition, including The Mandalorian and Westworld. The team here at Priority One would like to extend our congratulations to the team for this impressive win. Now the not so good. That was Star Trek's only win. For a full list of the winners, check out our link to Variety in the show notes at PriorityOnePodcast.com. They did do a very nice in memoriam to both DC Fontana and Rene Abergenois, so that's that's very sweet. I am I am a little surprised that they won for best prosthetic makeup against so many other contenders. I just, I mean, look, don't get me wrong. The prosthetic work on both Discovery and Star Trek Picard is outstanding. Well, then again, I guess there's not much. What else is out right now that, that has so much prosthetic? Not much then, right? Not that I, nothing comes to mind. And Star Trek, don't forget, sort of invented the bumpy four-headed alien of the week. I mean, that that should be there. Yeah, yeah. They should have that market pretty well cornered. Mandalorian some good competition. Yeah, Mandalorian. Star Wars. Yes, Mandalorian is some good competition. I'm kind of surprised that it, that Mandalorian didn't walk away with it. Mm. Now, Discovery did not qualify for any of this because Discovery's not in the year, right? It's not within the year of the Emmy, of this year's Emmys? Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Probably. Because I'm re-watching Discovery, and there is some amazing prosthetic work you know, going on there, yeah. too. So. Again, I mean, they they should have a lock on that genre. Like they should, they should they should own that space. We've discussed unmade Star Trek movies ad nauseum. Whether it's S.J. Clarkson's Kelvin Four, Tarantino's Piece of the Action, or Noah Hawley's recently shelved and mysteriously shrouded Star Trek offering, many many hours of talk have been had about zero hours of visual media. Guess what we're going to do now? No, no, we're not going to perform the Star Trek theme as a polka, right? No, 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 we're going to talk about unmade Star Trek movies. But this time, it's a little different. This time, we're getting to pull back the veil of Noah Hawley's script thanks to Hawley himself. Get your favorite sauce ready. We've got Trek Nuggets. Oh. <laughs> it's Trek Nuggets. 
I love when you have to <laughs> yeah, say that's it. Why, that's why everyone, it. that's why I always get it. That's why I always get that line. On September 15th, Variety released an interview with Holly, mainly talking about the upcoming fourth season of Fargo, which Holly created and serves as the series showrunner. But guess what else came up? No, not Polka Trek. What is it with you at the Polka Trek? I don't understand. No, he talked about his in-stasis Star Trek script, saying, quote, We're not doing Kirk and we're not doing Picard. It's a start from scratch that then allows us to do what we did with Fargo, where for the first three hours you go, uh, this really has nothing to do with the movie, and then you find the money. So you reward the audience with that thing that they love, end quote. Then on September 18th, Entertainment Weekly released another article with the writer-creator showrunner to once again discuss Fargo's fourth season and Star Trek. When asked about the script, Holly explained, quote, I can't say much about it except it's an argument for why humanity should prevail and why we should come together and unite, which I think is important, to look at the United Federation of Planets and remember that at some point Earth is where we are now and then we invented warp technology and met extraterrestrial life and everybody came together. But how? How did we get from where we are now to where they are then? And what happens if that utopian reality is challenged? There are times of challenge and war when we have to prove our values all over again. Maybe there's a time in the Federation where this ideal is challenged and it won't survive on its own, it needs to be saved. End quote. Isn't that what happened in Picard? Isn't that what happened in Enterprise? Yeah, and Discovery. It's <laughs> never happened in the movies, I guess. I yes, suppose. But that's not, that's a tough sell for an hour and a half, two hours. Especially if you're going to introduce a whole bunch of new characters and things, too. That's a tough sell. Well, that leads us to our first community question this week. How do you feel about Noah Hawley's Star Trek film? Do you like the idea of moving away from Kirk and Picard? Do you think that Federation ideals should need to be saved? Let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to our community question post on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. In episode 473 of Priority One, we talked about the Star Trek cinema shuffle, including Noah Hawley's script rumors. We also discussed the cancellation of New York Comic Con's in-person festivities. This week, Star Trek released its plans for the New York Comic Con Metaverse online portal. Starting Thursday, October 8th at noon, and totally ignoring Priority One's production schedule, Star Trek takes the virtual stage with its Star Trek Universe offering. Star Trek Lower Decks and Star Trek Discovery are set to do the heavy lifting, with StarTrek.com saying in part, quote, Join the creator of Star Trek Lower Decks, Mike McMahon, and series voice cast for a special edition of CBS All Access, official Star Trek after show The Ready Room, as they dive into the season one finale with host Will Wheaton, end quote. The website continues, quote, Be the first to learn the latest about Star Trek Discovery before season three premieres on Thursday, October 15th, exclusively on CBS All Access, in Canada on Bell Media's CTV Sci-Fi Channel, and streams on Crave, and on October 16th on Netflix in 188 countries. Join series stars Sonequa Martin-Green, Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp, Mary Wiseman, and Wilson Cruz, new cast members David Ajala, Blue DeBario, and Ian Alexander, and series co-showrunners and executive producers Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise for an exclusive conversation on what's in store for the USS Discovery crew, end quote. 
If you're interested in checking out all of Reed Pop's New York Comic Con offerings, TV Line posted a concise listing of the schedule. We'll link that and other articles discussed in our show notes. So there's a couple of things worth noting here. One is that this particular online event is happening Thursday, October 8th, and then the premiere is happening October 15th, 16th, and a little more on that in a moment. So my guess is that they're they're probably going to release some kind of footage or scene. Maybe not as impressively a scene as they have been in years past, right? I've for the last 2 years in New York Comic Con at Madison Square Garden, they've shown, you know, an entire scene. We may not get that in this online virtual panel scenario, but it's likely that we will. So we as Priority One should make plans to figure out how the heck we're going to cover it to still come out with a Friday show. More on that later. Behind the scenes. <laughs> the other thing is the fact that it is now officially announced that Star Trek Discovery Season 3 will be on Netflix internationally the next day. So it is solidly confirmed. Great. Where are all the other shows? For our friends everywhere else. So everybody in the United States and Canada can watch it on Thursday, October 15th on their respective CBS All Access or in Canada on Bell Media's uh, CTV. And then everybody else around the world on October 16th on Netflix, which is a smart move, but they really need to work out their geo copyright things. They really do. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know what the holdup here is on the other shows. I, I mean, they must have... Obviously, they had a deal for Discovery on Netflix. But whatever they're working out for the other shows is not working. So they need to, Find like... To think uh, what it could be. Hmm. Could it be... Oh, I, I, I got it. I got it. Cash. It's just wh- money. What do you mean? Like, what... Uh, so... I, I we talked about this a long time ago. I think in in relation to short treks, CBS values Star Trek at dollar level X, and everyone else values it at dollar level X minus something. And CBS is not going to close that gap for them. This is how much a Star Trek thing costs, and everyone's like, eh, and CBS is like, fine. We'll just take our ball and go home. Because that helps them with their exclusivity strategy with CBS All Access. Soon to be called Paramount Plus. But that's why. This is what Star Trek costs. If you don't want to pay it, fine. You don't get it. Do you think they're overvaluing Star Trek? Nah. Uh, let's just, let's compare it. No. Let's compare it to the elephant in the room, which is Star Wars. Right. Right. Do you think that CBS is overvaluing Star Trek? No. In the sense that they are taking Star Trek and doing this fragmented nonsense through uh, across the globe. No. I feel like I feel like Disney can pull this off with with Marvel or Star Wars, right? I feel like there is enough pop culture clout behind them to say, "Yeah, it's worth X and if you don't want to pay it, too bad, so sad." But Paramount and both CBS tend to kind of like fumble their IPs. I mean, Transformers, GI Joe, Star Trek, they fumble them, right? So is Star Trek as valuable or are they blowing a lot of hot air into the franchise? I have another theory mm. is that they're not wanting to release the other content until Paramount Plus goes live to drive traffic to that. Yeah. And they're trying to create interest by letting Disco go everywhere. So I feel like this is part of some plan. Yeah, I think I think they kind of go hand in hand. Besides, Discovery has an audience already on Netflix because Netflix helped fund the first season. So Netflix already whatever 
international right. Netflix. Right. So it, so whatever whatever algorithms and things that they have, they know what kind of audience they have, and they know how that translates into their subscriptions. So they paid what CBS wanted, or maybe they had some sort of residual contractual rights to subsequent seasons from the first one. So that whatever it was, the price point for Discovery was was right for them on that. But for the new stuff, they weren't offered. They didn't get a you know first look, a, a ground floor deal. I think Kat's probably right. They're like, this is stuff we've had success using Star Trek as the anchor, is the anchor as the cart puller, whatever metaphor you want to use. Let's keep that going, and that exclusivity is going to help us with that. So when we rebrand it at Paramount Plus or whatever, we have a bunch of stuff no one's seen before outside the U.S. and did we? Did they talk about how Paramount Plus is going to be international? It did, but it sounded like that was still in the works because wasn't it like okay. the Nordics? Yeah, <laughs> that was the only place yeah. listed in Australia, yeah. maybe. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, right, work in progress. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I just I think that what they're doing this fragmentation reminds me a lot of back in the cable days, right? And then and then people would just pirate, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. So, I mean, I would, there was a meme that was going around not long ago, and I refer to it from time to time, where it's it's a pirate putting away his hat because he's got Netflix and Hulu, you know, these, these platforms and Amazon Prime. So why there's no need to pirate anymore. But then the next scene of the meme, the next card on the meme is him taking out his pirate hat and he's covered in online streaming services. Right. Right? It's just the, the, the screen is full of logos for online streaming right. services. So I wish that they could, I don't know, I wish that they can figure out something in some way so that everybody could enjoy it all over the world in one solid location. <laughs> then they wouldn't make nearly as much money. I don't know, man. Yeah. Netflix is already pulling off Star Trek shows. You know that the animated series is no longer on Netflix in the United yeah, States. Yeah, they've been consolidating it all on CBS All Access. Yeah. Behind the wall. Yeah, it's some sort of plan. Behind the wall. Please note that Priority One is not condoning nor supporting the idea of piracy. Uh, absolutely not. Don't do that. <laughs> Enough said. Like, yeah, I'm like, just don't. Enough said. Well, Captains, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you likely had a few VHS tapes of your favorite movies, and some were probably recorded from their broadcast television airings. As such, you probably knew some, or all three, Night at the Movies bumpers. Well, break out the VCR, some Keebler Magic Middles cookies, and your favorite Cabbage Patch Kid, because CBS is about to get nostalgic. Sunday Night Movies is making a limited run comeback. In the face of the current pandemic, Viacom CBS has decided to fill some scheduling holes with the old favorite, CBS Sunday Night at the Movies, using the recently reacquired Paramount Pictures Library, starting on October 4th at 9.30 to 11.30 p.m. Eastern with Old School. The movies will run for six non-consecutive weeks, with the first four being thematically scheduled for school releases and Halloween, respectively. Following Old School will be Clueless, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Scream. Eddie Murphy's Coming to America will round out the offerings on November 29th. But the big news, for Star Trek fans anyway, is that Star Trek Beyond will get its broadcast premiere on November 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. For a link to a full schedule, check out 
the links in our show notes. Wow, clueless where Paul Rudd looks exactly like Paul Rudd today. This is a vampire. (laughs) Oh my god, I saw a meme that said Paul Rudd is the exact age that Wilford Brimley was when he filmed Cocoon. (laughs) So they had a picture. Was he really? Yeah, they had a picture of Paul Rudd next to the picture of Wilford Brimley and you're just like mind blown. What Paul Rudd? (laughs) You are such a vampire. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So that blew my mind today. So, yeah, there you go. You you know, of all the movies that they could have chosen, I'm kind of glad that they chose Beyond. I really think that Beyond is incredibly underrated. I love Beyond. I really did like it. It's a good good choice. And, you know, it's perfectly timed as well because it's a three-hour broadcast and the movie's two hours long. So they'll have plenty of time for all the commercial breaks, which is the part of the CBS Night at the Movies that you hated when you were trying to tape it because your choice was either record the commercial or you got to be on that pause button on your VCR. Yes. You got to hit that pause button and you guys remember to unpause it because that was the worst part. If you paused it, then you forgot to unpause it when the commercials came back. It was, you know, it was, it was just such a stress. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. In gaming news this week, from September 24th through the 28th, Ferengi augments and Bajorans will destructively interfere with each other in Star Trek Timeline's Law of Conservation Galaxy event. Emery Erickson and Alton Inigo Soong beam in as event crew, assuming Transporter Chief Rand gets their transport pattern straightened out. Whoever prevails will claim Roger Corby as the event's ranked reward, or is it actually his android duplicate? Who can tell? Well, this one's a little more thematic, right? This is not just random people out of nowhere. Uh, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's a little, you know, we got a transporter chief, uh, android guy, uh, an augment guy, and another transporter guy. Yeah, I mean, they're just grabbing supporting characters wherever they can find them now. Captains, the world of Star Trek gaming is vast and varied, and we want to spotlight some previously released Star Trek games. Whether to celebrate a classic or make a new introduction, we are going to slingshot around the sun for our new segment, Retro Trek. And now here's Gray with a popular Star Trek video game celebrating its 20th anniversary. Creating a temporal vortex. Time travel. We've done it before. Sure, slingshot around the sun, pick up enough speed, you're in time warp. If you don't, you're fried. The future is the past, the past is the future. It all gives me a headache. Get him back! Get him back! I'm sure you know the old joke. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and a redshirt beam down to a planet. Guess which three make it back? Star Trek Voyager Elite Force is the 21st century answer to that. Released in September 2000, Elite Force takes place on the Starship Voyager towards the end of 2376, which is the penultimate season of Star Trek Voyager. Tuvok creates the Hazard Team, which is essentially Lower Decks crewmen who are given advanced training to become Voyager's commandos. We are going to infiltrate the Borg Cube. Elite Force is a first-person shooter, meaning you really get to feel like you're part of this world, despite playing as Ensign Alexander or Alexandria Monroe. That's Alexandria Monroe. The single-player campaign takes you through an exciting handful of missions, pitting you against the Delta Quadrant classics such as the Borg, the Malon, and the Herogen. 
The game doesn't rest on its established species, however, and introduces several new races, taking full advantage of the 3D world of the game to show the floating, butterfly-like race the Aetherians, cockroach-like harvesters, or a plethora of security drones. Elite Force was praised in its day by Trekkies for its authentic use of the Star Trek license, realizing races like the Borg in terrifying detail. So terrifying, in fact, that nine-year-old me hid under the table when I found myself alone on a Borg cube surrounded by drones. The wider gamer community itself praised the game too, as they felt the gameplay was impeccable, and although the Star Trek elements complemented the game, it was still an enjoyable experience without being a Trek fan. On top of a great single-player campaign featuring the whole main cast of Voyager reprising their roles, the game offers a multiplayer experience that is surprisingly addictive. With maps that take inspiration from all corners of Star Trek, the game also includes skins and bots for characters that appeared in the game, in Voyager in general, and even some of the wider Trek world, including various Romulans along with Sela, various Klingons along with Gowron, and even the sonar from the then most recent Trek movie, Insurrection. Not long after the game was released, an expansion pack was worked on, adding some additional features to the multiplayer and a pretty comprehensive and interactive map of Voyager itself, allowing you to explore the bridge, engineering, and even the computer core totally at your leisure, with the final cherry on the cake being a fully playable holodeck mission set in the Captain Proton world, complete with Proton Blaster and monochrome surroundings. The game was enjoyed by a great many people, reflected in the sheer creativity to be found in the modding community for this game, ranging from additional maps and characters for the multiplayer to total game conversions for the single player. Even when you've completed the official game, there's a wealth of worlds still yet to explore thanks to the modding community. 20 years on, how does the experience fare? Well, surprisingly good. In part thanks to the modding community and to the developers, Raven Software, for releasing the source code for the multiplayer, which means that you can experience that side of the game completely free and totally legally. Fans over at The Last Outpost have even taken it upon themselves to improve the game engine and package it all up so that it will work easily with modern software. Check out the links for more information and if you want to try out the game. And if you do, I'm often on the Priority One Discord if you need help or someone to play with. Set phasers to frag. That's all we have to cover this week in Star Trek Gaming. Now let's look on screen for the newest episode in the Star Trek Multiverse. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 7, Much Ado About Boimler. On screen. Ever wonder if dogs could be better? Well, Tendi sure did and in her spare time created the dog. Meanwhile, most of the bridge crew is away on an urgent germination mission, leaving the Cerritos under the command of substitute captain Amina Ramsey, who also happens to be Mariner's old academy friend. Boimler, in an effort to try to impress the new captain, finds himself dealing with a bit of a transporter issue. All right, guys, let's get ready to talk about the show. Uh, ignore the transporter effect that's just going to underline this entire segment. What? <laughs> yeah, the, just ignore what? the transporter sound. 
can't see you very well either. I think you're phasing. <laughs> it sounds like you're phasing, and it looks I'm like you're phasing, phasing, but I can't hear a thing you're saying. <laughs> well, Captains, let's let's get through with some of these statistics. This episode was written by M. Willis, directed by Barry J. Kelly, and first premiered in the United States on September 17th, 2020. Tony, why don't you... Why don't you tell us what your favorite scene was, favorite moment of this episode? I liked all of it. Jesus Christ. Stop it. <laughs> Do your, you know what you're telling me? You know what you're admitting? You're admitting you're not doing your homework. And you're admitting uh, uh, that you're not going uh, through this list answering these questions. You're That's right. You're I'm admitting. admitting all of it. Your Honor, I am guilty as charged. Sentence me it. to whatever it is it. you're going to sentence me to. I knew it. And teacher's upset. I'm taking off, I'm taking off the gold star, man. Oh, I've lost the gold star? Well, let me tell you why I liked all of it. Because, as I said last week, and I think this, this episode is further evidence of it, they're finding their groove. They, they've got a good groove going here. Got the cold open. I, I wish they would disconnect it from the plot, but still, they got the cold open. They've got the storylines, the separate storylines, which they're, they're, they've separated the teams out a little bit. They are highlighting sort of a character per week. And they are, contrary to my prediction, they are sort of advancing their, their characters a little bit. Like, a little bit. And I think that they've got they, they've they're defining Mariner a little bit better, but I think they made a mistake this week. Well, you forfeit your ability and your chance to explain why because you didn't do your homework. Cat, okay. why don't you talk to us about? What? I want to hear the mistake. He can wait. He can wait till the end. <gasps> oh, I was okay. told I have to go, go to the back of the line. The back of the have line. To wait now. All right. Back of the line. Well, okay then. As long as we come back to that, my favorite was obviously the dog because it was awesome. I want one. <laughs> I love seeing. To go through other seven. <laughs> it's only three. Um, oh, only three. Okay. I love seeing Tendi and Boimler, though. I was just saying, you know, they should mix up the crew some, and there you go, they did. And I was really thinking they were gonna bring Mariner down a couple of pegs, and then she's faking and is the best thing ever again. So I was kind of disappointed with that. I don't know. That was the opposite. I was like, this character, they're going 180 degrees off this character. What's wrong? And then it was like, oh, mm, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Right. So. But I really did like this episode. I thought it was good. I liked it too. If we were to measure this on a basic understanding of Star Trek's history and repertoire, I would say this felt most in line with a majority of Star Trek shows, uh, episodes. And I enjoyed it for that reason. I wish that this episode was not episode seven and instead episode three. Specifically, I'm referring to Mariner's arc in this particular episode, right? We've gone seven episodes of no real understanding, no real direction as to why Mariner is the way she is. Clearly, she's intelligent. Clearly, she's a star Starfleet officer, but she just chooses not to be. She's made a conscious choice to not rise up the ranks. And this episode, even though it doesn't explain why, she says at the very end, in the, in the epilogue, in the last scene, I'm still finding myself. And that's a-okay. I, I would have loved this episode four episodes ago and not have to wait this long for it. But? No, not, I mean, I, the, only, the only but is that there's nothing original about this show. Like, I get that they're making fun of Star Trek. When I say original, 
I'm not talking about, oh, well, the, the, they're just making fun of Star Trek. I'm not saying that. Like, you can do that. And I think you can do that while still telling a unique story. But, like, the dog thing, although funny and cute, you know, reminded me a lot of uh, of the cat in Rick and Morty on the last season of Rick and Morty. Reminded me of Adult Swim's Mr. Pickles. It even had a little bit of Charlie the Unicorn, that YouTube series, if you're familiar with it. So, nothing feels original and the only saving grace of the show is that it's it makes fun of Star Trek. Like, for instance, you know, they, in the very beginning of the show, they make fun of Chain of Command, and they're all in their black suits. That was a good callback. Just to plant something. Just to plant something. The absurdity of it was hilarious. I loved it. <laughs> Don't Jellico out on us, a substitute captain. <laughs> right, right. What are you talking about? I don't want some babysitter Jellico type hovering over us. <laughs> so I liked this episode. I thought it was kind of the most traditional Trek episode yet. I wish it was a little earlier. I just wish that some of their plots were a little more original. But this was the but that I was saying a second ago is that it wouldn't have worked in episode three because this is the whole they're making the character move a little bit that I was saying. You couldn't make this episode three because you wouldn't have seen Mariner over and over again being the badass but but also snubbing her nose with authority uh, blah blah blah. This episode you're like wait she's tight with this captain. She likes this captain. She wants to do well for this captain, but then throws the game. That's odd. That's different. That's new. Though I, I didn't like the whole I'm finding myself thing. I thought that was stupid because this is where the, my math is fuzzy. How old is Mariner? If her Starfleet Command classmate is a legit captain now. That's what I thought. Bro, come on, man. You know that you can get, in Star Trek, you can get promoted I, I, like that. I know. The speed of plot, I understand that. But I mean, it's, but still, if you're worried about the Star Trek setting at all, you know, you got to have 10, 15 years between graduating the Academy and getting a command so i mean but even boimler kind of in passing was like back in the day you know he told her back in the day how old are you aren't we the same age but she didn't respond and flashback with the hair i mean how old is she (laughs) right so maybe and again with in cartoons you can get away with that so maybe there is a big mystery here like she's aged really well has fantastic skin and she's actually is you know pushing 40 at this point and with the whole kirk didn't think 34 years old in the original series was and he he made he was the youngest captain of the starfleet okay so that's at least 12 years even if he's even if he was uh, if we're counting 22 is when you graduate from the academy so that's at least that's at least a decade and don't count the movies because that's just stupid the the JJ movies. But the mistake I think they made with her is that when she was throwing the game, at least on that one away mission, she put people in in danger, right? Like the thing was going to explode and she forgot the tricorders. That's something that Mariner has never done. I don't think it was that dangerous. I think that was calculated. I'm sure they would have just gotten a whole bunch of bog water all over themselves, but... Well, they played it for danger though, right? They, oh my God, it's going to explode. Oh my God. So, I mean, that's the sort of thing where the, the character Mariner has never done that. I think that was maybe a little bit of a mistake. I'm not going to, like, come down on them on it too much. But for as much as they have been so extremely consistent with what the characters are supposed to be doing and how they work, uh, I thought that was a little bit off. But the rest of it, you know, kicking and punching the big alien and the alien at the end of it turned into a space jellyfish. I mean, that's pretty Star Trek, like Ellie was saying. That's pretty Star yeah. Trek. Yeah. The ending where the sh- it's like a crab looking for a shell kind of alien thing was, yeah, it felt very, very traditional Star Trek episodic content to me, and I, and I really did enjoy it. Before we close, I would like to say something else about other Star Trek. So season three of Discovery is about to 
hit in a little under a month, season three. Uh, so I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna rewatch season two. I just kind of want to feel, you know, get back into the swing of the Discovery crew. And I am thoroughly enjoying season two of Discovery much more than I did in the past. Because Anson Mount's so well, one one thing is that Anson Mount is a national treasure. It was funny because I was plating food. I was plating dinner or something. And I just blurted out, man, Anson Mount's handsome. And, and then Allie, Allie goes, yeah, he's like the silver fox Ken doll. Perfectly quaffed and perfect. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. We, we all wish for Anson Mount hair. That's I so do, true. I do, I do. It's true. So if you haven't binged season two of Discovery... I recommend that you do, especially if you have very critical opinions about the series. You may still have critical opinions at the end. I still have some. There's some plot holes. There's some things that are not clear. The time travel thing just, The no. time travel thing is really, really forced. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. And they all said to themselves, it feels like they all said to themselves in the writer's room, it's time travel. It's not supposed to make sense. Let's just do whatever. So it's, it's very odd in that way but the one of the biggest complaints as we were reviewing it was oh my god this spock thing oh my god the spock thing holy can we just get spock on the show already for the love of god and i think that problem stemmed from marketing on a weekly there you go serialized show weekly because on re-watching it those episodes leading up to spock really don't dwell on him He's a passing mention every once in a while. It's he's not the core of of the plot until he comes on board. And even then it, it's not it, his whole losing consciousness. Again, there are holes. There are holes that I'm still going to hold him accountable for. Like for instance, why is it breaking Spock's brain? Because he he can he saw visions of the future? Like that's really what they're saying is that he mind melded. He saw visions of the future and it broke him. Because, and I'm thinking to myself, Reasons. why? Is, is it like T'Pol? Like T'Pol refused to accept time travel in Enterprise? Is there a thing with time travel that Vulcans just cannot digest? Are they allergic to it? Is that what? Is that what the problem is? So there's, there's <laughs> they're, little... Does it, does they're it temporal make, intolerant. Temporal does it make logical <laughs> sense? <laughs> oh, can I, does anybody have any temporal A's? Oh, I'm temporal intolerant. <laughs> Oh, that time travel is not sitting well with me right now. What are you, an Iconian? (laughs) (laughs) I I can't eat Iconian food. I can't eat Iconian food. I'm temporal intolerant. Oh, it messes me me up so bad. (laughs) You do not want to be around. (laughs) (laughs) Jamal Taylor goes, tempo bismol. (laughs) Tempo bismol. So, uh, you know, uh, long story short, I really, yeah, rewatch it, do it again, go through it again. We talked a long time ago about how this was not designed to be serialized, not designed to be episodic. It it was binge. It was supposed to be binge. They wrote it as a binge thing, and that's how it should have been done. Even the first episode when Jet Reno comes on, you're just like, oh my god, I love her. It's so awesome. You know what's interesting, though, is that I don't... What you said, Tony, about how this was really more designed to be a binge, I don't feel that way with other shows that are released weekly. The Boys is an excellent example of this. The Boys is a series on Amazon that actually features two Star Trek actors, Carl Urban and Jack Quaid. That is released every Friday. I watch an episode, and I feel complete. Like, if the series ended, I wouldn't necessarily be hateful that they didn't finish the story and i don't think they're writing like that with discovery at least not these last two seasons right so the the weekly release was very i think in my opinion 
very detrimental to Discovery as a whole. Definitely season one, for sure season one. Yeah. And then again in season two, because as I'm watching it, I'm going, wow, that's 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 actually pretty deep. The whole thing with the sphere, that episode with the sphere, I would argue just as good as uh, New Eden. Another very familiar Star Trek feel to it. When Saru lets Colbert and Tyler fight in the mess hall that yeah that would never happen in starfleet but you know what it would happen 10 years before 1966 tos i mean they had brawls all the time they just started throwing fists whenever yeah but that was usually on the space station with the klingons though that may be true that may be true that's only when they call it the enterprise a garbage scout if you didn't like discovery on a weekly basis and you haven't gone back to binge it at the very least do season two because obviously it leads up to what we're about to experience and you may you may find that you enjoy it more and you may find that you've picked up on things that you didn't in the first watch you'll also pick up on other crappier things that you didn't pick up on the first <laughs> thing you know and and you'll be reminded of some of the things that you really hated like the baul are clearly what killed Tasha Yar, but God forbid the writers put two and two together or that the nano probes that take over Leland are straight up Borg ripoffs but <laughs> Who's to, let's just put that aside. Rewatch season two. I think you'll enjoy it. So that'll be it for Lower Decks. Yeah. That'll be it for Lower Decks. <laughs> it was on screen. I thought that this was the only place that I could see oh, it. Oh, okay. I guess that's true. That's a good point. There you go. Well, that wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Lower Decks. Now let's open Haley Frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing Frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and even though subspace channels were kind of sparse these last couple of weeks, you've outdone yourselves this week, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, our community question was, does Star Trek need star power like Will Smith or Brie Larson to entice new fans, or would it hurt the franchise? And oh boy, did y'all have some opinions. From Twitter, Hippie John writes, I think a big name with star power would be damaging, actually. One, they would have to be absolutely amazing in the role so fans and viewers can see the character and not the face, not the star. Two, it would be a big expense on one person, which would take budget from other aspects of the production. Lastly, the biggest stars Trek has ever had were great. Also on Twitter, Trevor replied, Fans are too preoccupied with things hurting the franchise, and it's led to a calcification of thought and way more gatekeeping and in-group, out-group nonsense than is appropriate or healthy. Sure, put in an A-list talent in the captain's chair with a good story to bring to life. Again from Twitter, Jake Teske says, It depends. Whoopi Goldberg was a terrific addition to the TNG cast and an example of how to bring in star power the right way. As long as these big-time actors understand Star Trek is at its best, an ensemble, it's great. You know, uh, it's it's very important that we address what kind of a little bit what both uh, Jake and Trevor said, right? Is that, yeah, fans can get a little preoccupied with this is Trek, this is not Trek. And I think that we've done a, a decent job of not trying to measure or gatekeep. Instead, a approaching our reviews as just television, right? Is it good television? I think that we need to move away from this concept of it's not Trek, it is Trek. You don't know what Trek is. I was watching Trek when you were in your daddy was in diapers. No, we shouldn't. We should not be engaging with each other like that. But I don't think that we should also shut down anybody who is offering criticism and to a show that they like. 
or don't like it. Lastly, from Twitter, JFC replies, don't think it would hurt, but I do like seeing less known actors and getting to see them flourish outside of Trek later. Patrick Stewart, Brent Spiner, and Alexander Siddig as examples. Thunderchild Prime wrote, it's a no from me. Sure, Star Power would bring new fans. However, the power of Trek is its writing and storylines. My personal issue would be if they did bring, let's say, Will Smith, the image would be look at Will Smith in new Star Trek as opposed to look at New Trek for its plot and quality. Also from Instagram, for Cabezas Lucha says, I think a big star could potentially take away from the great ensemble nature of most Trek shows. I think one thing that's a common theme here, look at it from the other perspective. If you attach an A-lister to a movie, you get more investors. So it's not for the fans, it's to get people to come in and say, oh yeah, that guy will sell tickets, I'll, I'll pay for making a Star Trek movie. You're not wrong that it takes away from the ensemble, but it brings in a different ensemble. An ensemble with cash. And from Facebook, friend of the show Ed O'Connell responded, Star Trek has never been afraid to try and bring in big names. It just doesn't always work out schedule-wise. The actor's impact on Trek will depend entirely on the writing of the role. Someone like Will Smith can bring a lot to a project or can just be wasted on the project as well. The same with anyone. Yes, these names can bring in new fans. It's happened. But keeping them will fall to the writers. Also from Facebook, our Patreon supporter, Gerald Bosch, wrote... Will Smith's own career demonstrates that the idea that casting big stars means a movie will be a big hit doesn't really work. Wild Wild West, After Earth, and last year's Gemini Man all demonstrate that casting him isn't an automatic cash bonanza and also shows, by extension, that this isn't true of any star. If there's a role that he or Brie Larson or whoever would be best suited for, then yes, cast them. However, if this is just another attempt to follow the myth that big stars guarantee big box office, it's a bad choice, both from an artistic and from a business perspective. But I want to respond to this because, yeah, it it doesn't guarantee it, but it makes it bankable as from the investor standpoint. It makes it more likely that you might be able to generate some buzz and some ticket sales if you've got an A-lister on there. Everyone knows there's no guarantee in Hollywood on this stuff, but if you can attach somebody with a household name, you're going to punch through the noise of everybody else who's trying to release movies. That calculation may change these days because there's not a whole lot of movies being released, but... That's that's the that's the old calculus. Lastly, from Facebook, Nick Wade wrote, Star Trek to me has always been about the characters first and the people that played them second. I would have to ask why the need to bring in big names. If it's to bring in an audience, then you're in danger of it becoming the Will Smith or Brie Larson show slash movie rather than a Star Trek show or movie. I think that was the issue for me with Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek rumors. It sounded like it would be a Tarantino film that may look a bit like Trek rather than a Trek film that happened to be directed by Tarantino. Well, that wraps up episode 479 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to all of the shows And, of course, share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, Gerald Bosch, and Joshua Selig is back as a patron at the commander level. Thanks, Joshua. Welcome back, Joshua. Thank you. And here's a reminder of our community question for this week. How do you feel about Noah Hawley's Star Trek film? Do you like the idea of moving away from Kirk and Picard? Do you think Federation ideals 
should need saving? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stoke players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com during these difficult times we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content we produce each and every week now we do understand that given the nature of things a financial contribution may not be possible there is another way you can help priority one and that's by joining the team we're looking for audio editors we're looking for writers we're looking for video editors we are also looking for a live stream technician someone to join the show and help us Tuesday night to broadcast live on places like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Twitch. So if you have the time and would like to be an added voice to the show, be sure to visit PriorityOnePodcast.com. And at the very top, you'll see a link that says join the crew. There you'll find a description of all the volunteer positions we have available and a form easily accessible for you to fill out. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, who delivered an amazing Retro Trek segment this week. Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony Cox. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert, shields up. Engage. All of us here at Priority One would, of course, like to congratulate the team for its impressive wind. 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 That wasn't the wind I was thinking about, but okay, yeah, that's probably more, that's probably better.
when asked about the what? You're laughing now. Sorry, I'm I'm laughing at the okay. chat. <laughs> this is why we need a booth guy, right? This is why we need somebody or girl, you know, because because then we uh, Elias is distracted. That'd be awesome. A booth, booth person. person. Girlified, yay. Yes, sir. Where, where did you maybe get? Okay. When asked about the script, when asked about when under the podcast.roddenberry.com the Roddenberry Podcast Network